Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, today we're going to talk about water. I mean, some of you might be a little sick about water. But now, you know, we've had a pretty good run of rain. But next to the air that we breathe, water is the primary element in God's creation. He made a lot of it. And water is life. Without fresh water, your body cannot be sustained for very long at all. And as we've seen, it can provide us with life-sustaining rain. It helps to grow the crops and, and help raise the animals that, that we live on. And the moisture in the air helps moderate the temperature so we don't get too terribly hot or too terribly cold. Although, you know, people in Alaska who are in Death Valley might disagree. But water is everywhere in our lives. And water can also be very powerful, and we, we've seen that. It erodes roads and sends rocks skidding down hillsides, uh, and it can be quite destructive. At the creation, God separated the waters above from the waters below to make land before he made Adam and Eve. And sometime later, God told Noah, that he would flood the entire earth until the highest mountain was 20 feet below the surface of the water. God almost destroyed absolutely everything because of the extreme wickedness of, of us, of mankind. But he made a covenant of promise to save a remnant, Noah and his family. Much later still, we see Moses and he takes all the slaves that had been uh, slaving away in Egypt for 400 years, and he takes them on a little trip, but he gets trapped against the Red Sea by Pharaoh's army. But God miraculously allows his people to cross that Red Sea on totally dry ground. And after they're safely across... God delivers a deadly blow to Egypt's army as he takes those two walls of water that he had held for the Israelites and just lets them slam shut, crushing and drowning the entire Egyptian army. Now, we see water referenced often in Scripture in large and in small ways. We can see things like flooding, we see it used in ritual washings. We see it used to water and to, to refresh people. We see it used in healing and in cleansing. We also see it used to reshape things like uh, clay. And under Joshua, God led Israel into the promised land when he parted the River Jordan this time, where they started walking the, the Ark of the Covenant into the water, and as soon as they took a step, it just split, and they walked all on dry ground. And then in the days of the kings, we see a strange little story about 
a man named Naaman who sought after the prophet Elisha. He was a Syrian military commander, and, and he had leprosy. But he came to, to see this, this prophet, and the prophet says, well, go wash yourself in the, in the Jordan. And he didn't like that very much, but when he came around to, the, to actually doing it, he was instantly cleansed of that horrid disease. When Israel was thirsty in the desert wilderness, and that seemed to happen a lot to them, when they'd come to some new water, they'd always test it first. But one time they came to a place called Merah, and the waters there were bitter, undrinkable. But after the Lord heard their cry and heard Moses' prayer, he provided a cure. Throw a, throw a piece of wood into the water, and it became clean and drinkable for everyone. And then a little later on in Exodus, they come to a place called Meribah. And there was a rock there, big rock. And God commanded Moses to take his staff and strike the rock. And that made the water flow out of this rock for all the people. Now, God was intending to use this example as a picture of the coming Messiah. But of all things, Moses spoiled this image because when they came around again to Mirabah some years later and needed water and they were grumbling as the people of Israel so often tended to do, Moses was mad and God told him, ask the rock for water. But Moses struck the rock twice and said, you know, do I have to give you water again? You know, it just did that. But the image was that the Messiah was to be struck only once as he was on the cross at Calvary. And despite Moses' failure to, to complete this picture of the Messiah, God let those waters abundantly flow because God always refreshes his people. Isaiah assured Israel about the Lord's intent when he said the Lord told him this, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. It's no coincidence that Jesus launched his ministry through the water at his baptism in the Jordan River. Just as under the leadership of Joshua, Israel had crossed the Jordan to finish their exodus from bondage to the Egyptians and enter into that promised land. So Jesus enters the Jordan to lead us in a new exodus from the bondage of sin into the promised kingdom of heaven. Although Jesus had no sin, he immersed himself in sin to fulfill in human flesh all that Israel and we never could. 
And it's no accident that water is splashed everywhere in Jesus' ministry. In his very first miracle, Jesus turns water into wine to refresh the wedding guests. And then, as we heard this evening, Jesus lovingly encourages Nicodemus to be born of water and the Spirit. And then, extending his grace beyond the Jewish people to whom he was originally sent, Jesus also offered living water to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And then, later in the gospel narratives, there's a few more things. Jesus walks on water. And he stills the water with a, with a single word, just stop. And the raging waves just ceased at his command. He also used water to wash the disciples' feet in order to teach them a little bit about humility. And finally, Jesus allowed water and blood to pour forth from his side as he hung on the cross. See, there's all these connections to water and to life. I think one of the most striking examples of water is what we find in John chapter 7, when Jesus shows up at the high point of the Feast of Tabernacles, the ceremony of the water drawing. And during this time, the assembled throngs were waving palm branches, and we'll, we'll have experience with that in a couple of weeks here. And they chanted from Psalm 118, verse 25, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And they're doing this even as the high priest pours water that was drawn from the pool at Siloam onto the brazen altar outside of the holy place of the temple. Now, this ceremony was meant to remind the people how God had repeatedly given the Israelites water in the wilderness. And at that very point when the water is being poured, Jesus stands up and shouts to the crowd, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Of course, Jesus is going to hear that same chant from Psalm 118 again, along with the next following verse as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey where it says, Hosanna, because Hosanna means save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is all this water simply coincidental? Absolutely not. It's reasonable and rhythmic. It, it, it helps carry along the narrative throughout Scripture. Water is woven throughout the Bible, and, it, and whether you know it or not, it's pointing you to Jesus, even though you know, not every passage is about baptism. As St. Paul so wonderfully concludes in 1 Corinthians 10, our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized in a Moses in the cloud and in the sea. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
Even St. Peter states that just as God saved Noah and his family through water, so your baptism now saves you. Dear friends in Christ, your Heavenly Father reshapes and rewashes you every day with baptismal water, like a piece of moistened clay. He is continually conforming you into the image of his Son. Now, I invite you today to reflect upon this sacramental gift that you received at the baptismal font. And remember how the word combined with water cleansed you from sin. I hope you will recall this again and again, that this water always refreshes, always washes, always forgives. In so doing... In remembering this, we gain blessings that can sustain us through life's difficulties. As Martin Luther wrote, when our sins and conscience oppress us, we strengthen ourselves and take comfort and say, nevertheless, I am baptized. It is promised to me that I shall be saved and have eternal life both in soul and in body. Now, Jesus told us that he is the true vine. He is the vine that's grafted you and I onto himself and his church by water. He's that connection. In him, you live, move, and have your being, as it says in Acts 17. And just as your mother's womb so beautifully protected you with a curtain of water as you were in the womb of your mother. And as God knitted you there, the Holy Spirit protects you in the womb of your new mother, the Holy Church. Now, if you were to ask a potter how he makes a beautiful pottery vase, he would tell you it's the water that makes the clay moldable before it's fired in the oven. Similarly, your potter, the heavenly father, works in you by the Holy Spirit each day to reshape your life into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Your old Adam is drowned so that a new you can be reshaped. This is why Luther said, the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. That's from the small catechism. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over all the waters of creation to bring life, so he fills you with new life in Jesus now and every day. This is what Lent is all about. Drowning that old you so that a new joyful you may arise. During Lent, the church is clothed in purple, reminding us of Christ's passion, death, and his tomb. But we're not going to stay there. We will arise new from our tomb this Easter. So what needs to be drowned in you today? Is this something that affects your marriage, your family, or your relationships? 
Are you more like moldable clay ready to be reshaped by water? Or are you more like hardened pottery? Need you be crushed before you can be reshaped again? Whatever the sin, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus Christ was crucified bearing all of it. Your sin was nailed on his cross. His blood was shed for you. And he was buried with your sins as well. Jesus Christ is your vine, your connection to the living water. Jesus is your rock, the constant source of that living water that we so urgently need. And he is your shepherd who unceasingly leads you alongside the still water so that you can be refreshed and renewed. He died so that you live in sin no longer. So go now, washed anew today, forgiven of all your sins. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and be refreshed by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.